Father, we pray in the name of your son that you'll help us, help all of us, God. We, we have this tendency to think that uh, we are entitled because we've done on balance good things to a sweet, safe, uneventful life. But we know that that's not the reality. But we know that you are good even when bad things happen. We know that you are powerful even when we feel powerless. We know that you have strength even when our strength is drained from us. Teach us the practical fear of the Lord, of coming to you, not running from you. Commission us and help us, we pray. Speak to our hearts today, Father. We love you. We need you, Father. We need you. God, I'm aware that these folks don't need to hear anything that Crawford Loritz has to say. But we can't make it without a word from heaven. So God of the universe, show up and speak and work and move through this place like wildfire, arresting our attention, uh, pulling in our distracted minds, uh, giving us the ability to think and concentrate and hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, a tablet, or device, and you promise that you're not going to pay, play, what is that, Candy Crush or whatever that game is, you're not going to play that, and you're not going to look at the scores, uh, turn with me to Psalm Psalm 34, Psalm 34, verses 8 through 18. This is the third and final installment on the fear, the fear of the Lord. Uh, we've entitled the series Awestruck, and rightly so. That's not just to, to, to make it sound appealing, but that's what the fear of God should do to us. Uh, it should make us awestruck. And I began underscoring the whole idea that some of us have grown too familiar with God. We have taken him out of his place and we've domesticated him. We've made him our buddy and our desire to make him approachable. Uh, We've sort of served uh, unwittingly as his publicist, cleaning up his image so that uh, others will like God. Well, frankly, God does not need an agent. He does not need a publicist. Uh, He does not need us to market him and to clean him up and to make him more relevant. God is God. He's the ancient of days. He is who he says he is. And he demands that we, and I use that term, I use that term. It's unpopular. It's unpopular. We don't like requirement words, but God demands to be worshiped. God demands to be respected. And he demands to be held in awe. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 says, if you don't do it now, oh, you will do it later because there will come a time in which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. And so the fear of God really is not optional. It's not optional. It's not something we decide to do, and if we don't do it, there aren't any repercussions or consequences. There are consequences for not fearing God. But I want to talk today about how do we nurture the fear of the Lord. But before I do this, I do want to connect with where we've been. And I'm not going to summarize those two messages. We don't have the time. But uh, I ran across a statement by none other than Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he makes this observation, and it's very strong, but I think it's a sobering one that we need to get a hold of. Spurgeon says that those eyes which have no fear of God before them now shall have the terror of hell before them forever. 
Let me just say that again. I think, I think our, our cages and categories need to be rattled a little bit because we have this journey-ish Christianity that we have reduced, and we think that we can sort of shape and, and mold our Christianity to suit us, and somehow or another just kind of dole out our obedience to God whenever we feel like it or whenever I'm there. And for those of us who are not followers yet, I know that this is not per- perhaps the best evangelistic strategy, but it is the truth. I want you to understand something. God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is kind. God is merciful. But I do want us to understand something, that we are not sovereign. He is. We do not control our destination. Uh, Time and all of that is in his hand, and we have an expiration date on us. And if we choose not to fear him now, in the words of Spurgeon, we shall have the terror of hell before us for eternity. Now, Spurgeon also uh, gives us a descriptive definition of fear, which leads into what I want to say today. Uh, we, we talked first, the first message was a description or definition of fear. The second message was talking about the benefits and the blessings of the fear of the Lord, that it really ultimately is a very positive, transformative thing. Uh, it is not something that you shy back from, it is something that you're held in awe. It's, it's, it, um, uh, I would put it this way, that, that, that the fear of the Lord is delightfully addictive. It's kind of like when you see these great sights that are, that are enormous that take your breath away. Uh, rather than saying, I don't want to see that anymore. You want to go back. It's something wonderful, dangerously wonderful about the Grand Canyon and the Grand Tetons and these wonderful sights. is something wonderful about it and that's the fear of the Lord and there are benefits to that but Spurgeon makes this uh, observation he, 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 he describes the fear of God this way and look at it on the screen with me he says fearing God means to pay him humble childlike reverence walk in his ways have respect to his will and tremble to offend him and hasten to serve him. I like that descriptive definition because in that descriptive definition, you'll see this through the message, uh, is really the ways in which we nurture and make the fear of the Lord our friend. How we cultivate the fear of the Lord uh, in our hearts and in our lives. Have you ever met someone who wanted to be your friend, but in your mind you're thinking, Man, I'm not even in their league. Why, why do they want to be my friend? Have you ever met people like that? What, why, why, do you wanna, why do you wanna be my friend? Why do you wanna do this for me? Why, why do you wanna come alongside? I'll never forget, I, I was a young staff member with Campus Crusade for Christ and uh, there's a vision on my heart for this conference and stuff and and, uh, and so uh, Dr. Bright asked me out at an event in, in California where there are some major donors of uh, the organization there to uh, uh, share what was on my heart. And uh, I did. And, uh, um, and this man, uh, if I mention his name, is extraordinarily well known, came up to me and said, you know, not only would I like to help with this, but I, I like to stay in touch with you. And I remember thinking, you know, I didn't have particularly low self-esteem or anything, but I'm thinking, yo, dude, 
you, you understand, I don't, you know, I don't fish in the same pond you do, brother. You know, <laughs> so, but I remember feeling that way. And a lot of us are that. You, you, somebody comes toward you that wants to be your friend. When you understand the attributes of God and the total otherliness of God and everything that he is and who we're not, and you understand his massive power, we shudder in his presence and you hear words like, a, like Hebrews 10, 13, that it is 31, it, it, is a, it, is, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And yet paradoxically, he says, come. Come, I want to be your friend. Yeah, I, I want you to fear me, but I want you to experience me. Hey, come here. Come here. I want to do something for you. I want to change you. I want to make you what you never dreamed you could be. But you got to fear me. you got to fear me. God loves us, and when we worship him, meaning fear, when we worship the Lord, that's an expression of fear. We worship him. He discloses his heart toward us. Sort of the anchor verse for this series has been Psalm 25, verse 14. For the intimate things of the Lord, the friendship of the Lord, is to those who fear him. That sort of says everything that we've been trying to say. You want to get, you, you, you really want to get God's heart? You really want him to disclose what he wants for you? You really want to know his will as Sandy did? What you have to do is cultivate a fear and he'll disclose his heart. But you got to cultivate a fear the fear of the Lord. Well, the question is, how do we make the fear of the Lord our friend? How do we cultivate this? How do we nurture this? And that's what Psalm 30, 34 really is all about, particularly that section between verses 8 through, through 18. As in last week, again, I could bounce back all over the scriptures and take you on a trail that way, but I, I wanted to lodge in one text of scripture. And so I'm going to feature, just like last week, a little listy. I want to talk about Psalm 34, verses 8 through 18. says that we cultivate the fear of the Lord in five ways. It's one of these passages and one of these messages where the text is the application. This is how you cultivate the fear of the Lord. How do you make fear your friend? If the intimate things of the Lord, the friendship of the Lord is to those who fear him, then how do I make fear my friend? How do I make it my friend? And so, David, who wrote this psalm, says that there are at least these five ways. Number one, it's found in verse eight. Take time to experience him. Meaning, cultivating closeness. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see, taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. The idea of tasting and seeing is, is, is he's really saying try and experience. Try and experience, come here, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's the idea to, 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 
to look for yourself in order to learn for yourself. Too many people talk about a relationship with God. Too many people discuss a relationship with God. Uh, Too many people interact about a relationship with God. But do you have an intimate relationship with God? I know that may sound strange for those of us who have been believers for a while. Some of us have more of a relationship with our spiritual disciplines than we do with the God of those disciplines. Some of us, we, we're in this rote regurgitate, yeah, we'll read the Bible, we'll take notes in the Bible, we'll even journal, and we, we have our prayers. But is your heart attached to God? Have you tasted him? Have you experienced him? Taste and see that the Lord is good. We can't enjoy and experience God from a distance. That's what the psalmist is saying. You can't just talk about him. you got to get up close and personal with him. The fear of the Lord is to draw us in and not to repel us. I mean, I could pick on almost any character in the Bible, but let's look at Moses. The burning bush, what does God say to him? God says to him, Moses, take off your shoes, come over here. When he wants to disclose the moral law, he calls him up to Sinai, says, Moses, come meet with me, let me disclose this to you. On a day-to-day basis, as he led the 2.5 million Israelites through the wilderness, what did he have? He had a tent of meeting that he would go in, and the glory of God would be over that meeting. He said, come in here. Let me meet with you. Let me meet with you. Elisha, what are you doing? Elisha was shying away because he was depressed and overwhelmed, and, 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 and Jezebel was coming after him. God says, come, come, come here, come here, journey to Sinai. Let me meet with you. Let me meet with you. What does Sandy do? With all of the struggles and the pain, the losing of a husband and a brother and all these things that happen, small kids, God said, come here. Let me meet with you. Are you meeting with God? Are you cultivating? Are you tasting of him? The fear of the Lord invites us to come to him, come to him. There are more people who talk about God than have a relationship with him. Taste and see for yourself. You know, I'll never forget this. I was, uh, some years ago, I was in Grenada, many, many years ago on the island of Grenada. I was speaking down there, and uh, and, uh, there was this luncheon uh, that I attended. Boy, did they ever have uh, amazing seafood. But there's a salad thing there, and uh, the host said to me, Crawford, you have to eat this. Taste it. You, you've got you to taste it. I said, what is it? He said, no, just, just taste it. I said, no, bro, I don't, I don't do mystery meat, bro. And uh, no, he said, no, 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 just taste it, taste it. Well, I realize I'm outside of the country, and I don't want to be a snob, you know. I said, all right, I taste it. This is delicious. I got a plate full of that stuff. And I ate it. Then he said to me, you know what you just ate? <laughs> Man, don't tell me. <laughs> you just ate conch salad. Hey, don't knock it, Jack. I'm telling you, don't say, oh, now, if you ain't ever eaten that stuff, man, don't go to heaven before you have some conch salad. I'm telling you, that stuff, I was a believer in that stuff. Taste 
I mean, it's, it's kind of like, when he said that, I'm going, you mean that slimy thing that comes out of that big shit? Yeah, that's what you just ate. So, then there's conch fritters. I mean, that's great stuff, man. Never, never mind, we'll, we're off the text here. Um, taste and see. Some of us are afraid to get close to God because we think the manifestations of our struggle is the expression of God's heart, and that's not the case. Taste and see. So the very first thing that we have to do in terms of cultivating this, this appetite for the Lord is take time to experience him. Secondly, he says, and this, this, is, this is so simple, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but he says, number two, decide to fear him. Decide, let me... There's a command here given in verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. This is not just some excited declaration. This is a command. It is an, an imperative. It is meant to be obeyed. Stop wrestling with your feelings. Stop struggling with whether or not you want to fear him. Stop saying, I don't know, did I do this, did I not do this? Maybe I can just sort of meander and journey my way into my walk and relationship with God. And maybe he'll just sweep me up and take me there. No, you got to make some decisions. You got to make some decisions. You got to decide in your mind to fear the Lord. In this context, the word fear also has to do with worship. And mind you, he says, oh, fear the Lord, his saints. I think there's an implication here, meaning that if you're related to him, we're going to continue to fear him. That a healthy relationship, saints, saints, holy ones, a healthy relationship with God, the manifestation of people who are related to him is that they demonstrate the fear of the Lord. But again, I want to get back to the cognitive thing that we have to do. This is a command, and it is not simply a, a, an, in, a, an involuntary response. Meaning that there are times in your life and during your day and your walk with God that you don't, you don't feel awe, you don't feel wonder, I, you, know, you don't feel it, but you have to decide, determine, to fear the Lord. Now, again, this, this works against our all things emotional and experiential society in which we live. We, uh, we worship our feelings and we tend to think with our feelings in our culture. So what I'm saying here is counterintuitive to uh, everything that you, you see on TV and all this stuff. People talking about my truth and my journey and my experience and my insights and how I feel about it. Don't do anything, you know. This, this flies in the face of all of that. But as you read the Bible, the mind is a soul's eye. The mind is a gateway to transformation. It is not first how you feel and then how you think. No, it's how you think and then how you feel. And so thus he commands an emotion. Isn't that interesting? Fear the Lord. He commands an emotion. Fear the Lord. Decide and determine that you're going to fear, fear God. Our attitude, our attitudes change when our thinking changes. And I think sometimes we struggle with fearing God because we've got some crazy thinking. We don't want to change the way we think about God. Thus, we are not growing and developing in our walk and relationship with him. 
the primary thing that we have to change the way we view about God is that we're not in control of our lives. And God does not come alongside of us, and he does not exist to make me happy and to make me fulfilled. We've got to change the way we think about God. That God is massive and we exist to serve him. We were born for his glory. All these things I've said a ton of times here at this church. But it demands that we change the way we think about God. That he is God, I am not. He knows what he's doing, I don't. He controls the future, I do not. And it's only when we get to that place of humility and dependence and understand that we exist to serve him, respond to him, revere him, and respect him, and we make up our minds to do that, will we be launched into a life of fruitfulness and effectiveness. Some of us are not there because we're duplicitous. We're, we, we are permanently conflicted. And we stay stuck. We stay stuck. We become respectful because we decide to. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm, going, that's what I'm trying to say. You know how it is. I mean, you, you have rebellious kids or teenagers who don't respect. And you put up with that. You make no requirements for them to do it. Well, that's just where they are. They're expressing themselves, and this is part of the journey. This is where they are as teenagers. You know, they've got, we've got to give them some room and let them call your names and this kind of thing. And, you know, don't react to that. I ain't grown up that way, okay? I just got to tell you. My dad didn't, he wasn't concerned about whether or not I felt respectful. <laughs> that wasn't on the table. He could change my feelings. <laughs> it's amazing how transformed I, I was. And by the way, some of us do need to change some of our kids' feelings. Stop treating them as if, you know, because they're my best friend, I can't say this. No, you're the parent. And God says, no, 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 you, you fear me. You make up your mind to fear me. You decide that you're going to fear me. You think more of me than you do of yourself. Don't make yourself a peer with God. You're not a peer with God. I am not God's peer. I'm not his peer. I'm not entitled. So you make up your mind to fear him. The third way in which we nurture this fear of God. Uh, David says in verse 11 that we listen and learn from his people. Now, pay attention to the text. Some, some folks, I think, in my estimation, in verse 11, has, um, have um, kind of like changed the direction of the pronoun here. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The I there does not refer to God teaching the fear of the Lord. The I there refers to David teaching them the fear of the Lord. What he's talking about is that we, we, we learn to fear God, uh, we're motivated to fear God by spending time with incarnational models of people who fear God. 
It is Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. It is being nurtured and discipled by others. It is realizing that we're connected to the body of Christ and all that we need and all that we can become visibly is around us. That's the reason why you ought to be nervous if you are an isolated believer, if you you don't have relationships with other believers. Now, pay very close attention. I don't mean to get so granular here, but look, look at what he's saying. He says, come, O children, listen to me. This is more than just poetic language. He says, come, O children, O children. The idea of calling us children implies maintaining a teachable, depend, uh, dependent attitude. Just as children are dependent and teachable, don't ever get to a place in your life where people can't talk to you, they can't correct you, they can't teach you anything. Some of us have a definition of maturity that says we stop growing. And some of us pass off cynicism as maturity. No, he says, no, you, 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 you know, see, you, you, you're a child. Act like a child. He says, listen to me. In other words, watch and learn how to fear the Lord from those who have walked with the Lord for a while. Look at them. Submit to them. Learn from them. I was thinking about this text, and my eyes filled with tears as I went back as a young teenager. There was an older couple. There was a couple in our church who were sort of like youth sponsors. They just volunteered and worked with the young people. It was a very small church and a handful of young people there. They were the Hewins, Pete and Dolores Hewins. We used to call them Uncle Pete, and she had a nickname like Loki. I don't know where she got that from. Uncle Pete, not Loki. But they were two of the most godly people I've ever met. I bless the Lord for them. Prayer warriors, We'd be in a little gathering and we'd talk about issues and challenges that we were having and these folks would say, okay, let's get on our knees and pray. And they'd cry out to God. They weren't Bible scholars uh, or anything like that, but they just walked with the Lord. And their reverence for God, the model of their obedience to God and their love for the Word of God the love for communion with God just oozed out of every pore of their lives. Do you know what that did to a 14, 15, 16-year-old boy? We need to hang out with people like that. Hang out with godly folks. Hang out with people. Not, stay away from the critical people. Stay away from the, the cynical folks that tend to be in churches, and we got our we got our share of them here at Fellowship, just to be honest with you. It's, it's stay away from them. Don't, don't get discipled in the name of discipleship by people who want to control you. They, they got a little issue, a little brand of Christianity that they're trying to leverage and hijack. Look for, look for godly people. Look for people who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Look for people who are responding to God, who love the Lord, and they will teach us the fear 
of the Lord. I think this listening and learning also implies a few things, and give me a little liberty here. I'm taking some liberty with the text. And not only, it, it implies that we're always being discipled. As I said, we're always being discipled. Don't you ever think in your mind that you've gotten beyond the point of being discipled. We're always being discipled as long as we're in this side of the grave. And the saddest thing to me is to see older people who have nobody that's speaking into their lives. We're always being discipled. And you've heard me say this before, don't follow anybody that's not following somebody. It's a dangerous thing. So we're always being discipled. I'm being discipled. There are people speaking in my life. In fact, there's some younger dudes who speak into my life and learn to listen. I think this also implies that we are to respect and revere God's word. Hold it up as the banner. It's the voice of God in our lives and spend time with it, not just to share it and to talk about it and have insights over it so that it might change our lives. And I also think that this implies that we need to respond to God's discipline. Respond to his spankings. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And that's part of cultivating the fear of the Lord. Don't make, let him, miss, don't, don't make him uh, spank you twice about the same thing. And some of us keep taking laps around Mount Sinai because we're hard-headed. We won't listen. Come, children, Listen. And I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The fourth way that we cultivate the fear of the Lord is, I basically said this, is to cultivate a holy life. David then goes into this stream of things in verses 12 through 16 where he's, he's talking about a holy life. Verse 12, though, he raises some rhetorical questions, uh, meaning that the answer is obvious. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. I, I, I think it's rhetorical. He said, of course, of course, all of us, all of us have an aspiration to live a fulfilling, enjoyable life. He says, that's the case. Then what you really need to do is to cultivate a life that reflects the fear of the Lord. You want a full life? You want a life of richness, a life of meaning, a life that is full of, of the presence and the hope and the joy of the Lord? You want that? David says, you know, it ain't all that heavy, but it is a little expensive. It, it's easy to understand, but you got to pay a price. And the reason why many of us are no closer to God today than we were 10 years ago is because we don't want to pay this price. Oh, we want to talk about it. But he says, the proof of the pudding, the way, the way we really honor God and respect him and demonstrate that we, we fear him is that we, we, we cultivate this holy life. Now, having said that, verses 13 through 14, he outlines four habits. Four habits that people who cultivate this, this relationship with God, this holy life that reflects the fear of the Lord, here they are. Verse, verse 13, he says that, number one, we work on controlling our tongues. Verse 13 says, uh, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
You want a life that goes a distance? You want a life that reflects the glory and love of the Lord Jesus? You want a full and complete life? All right, you gotta watch what you say. Avoid malicious, negative talk and speaking lies. Crawford, your mouth is the expression of your identity. Did you hear what I just said? Your mouth is the expression of your identity. Careful what you say because you're declaring who you are. Discipline what you say. Don't just pop off and give an opinion that's negative. Be charitable with your words. Control your tongue. It's not okay just to say what you feel. By all means, don't lie. Don't lie. The mouth is the expression of our identity. If we're related to him and we're cultivating holiness and a walk in relationship with him, then we ought to say the things that are true and say the things that are honorable and say the things that are right. The second habit is to control your behavior. That's the first part of verse 14. He says, turn away from evil and do good. Turn your, really the Hebrew means, you know, literally turn your back to evil. Turn your back to evil. Avoid evil. Avoid it. Don't go there. Uh, 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 Avoid circumstances that are not of God. Crawford, you want to cultivate a fear of the Lord? And yet you're going to see things that, that, that's not godly. You go on to sites on, 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 on the internet that's not godly. You're hanging out with folks, and let's be honest, you ain't thinking about sharing Christ with them. They're doing stuff that you know you ought not to be doing. And it is feeding a weakness in your life. If, if, if you're going to fear the Lord, then you have to be a person of a singular influence. For to me to live is Christ. You got to make sure that your lifestyle, what you say, what you think about, what goes into your mind, who you hang out with, the folks who are influencing you, don't lead you to an evil place. Now, don't, don't hear me as saying withdrawing from the world. I don't mean anything. You can't impact that which you don't come in contact with. And that we do need to rub shoulders with unbelievers. But I am talking about absorbing their values and absorbing their lifestyle. That ain't, that ain't cool. Turn away from evil. That also implies turn away from the revenge that you want to to get back at people. You want to respond to them in a negative way. You want to say, you mess with me, okay. You you raise your voice at me, I'm going to cuss you out. You can't go down that road, man. Turn your back from evil. This is how you cultivate. This is the price. This is the price of living a life under the banner and influence of the fear of God. Number three, the third habit here is at the second part of verse 14. Do good, do good. Turn away from evil and do good. The second part, do good, do good, do good, do good. It's not just turning away from evil and being neutral about it. No, in the place of 
turning away from evil, you replace it with doing good. And you act in a way simply that is good for people. It is good for people. You know, the older I get, the more I pray about this all the time. You know, there are two, there are two extremes with folks who age, I've observed. Two extremes. Very seldom is their middle ground. As you get older, there either is the tendency to get older and sweeter and more inviting and kind and tender and grateful. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, Ought to get more cranky and cynical and blame your negative attitude on your meds. And I, I just think we need to be careful, church. I just think we need to be careful. That ain't funny. It's not a nice thing to be a cranky, critical, negative, people can't stand to be around you person. Do good, do good. Determine that when people come in contact with you, they come in contact with goodness. I prayed that just yesterday in my prayer journal. I wrote down, oh God, oh God, help me. Help me when people come in contact with me. Help me, Jesus. I pray that they come in contact with love. pray that they come in contact with humility. And I pray that they come in contact with grace. Cultivate goodness. Be good. Not just good words. But do good because you, by the grace of God, are pressing into into goodness. And then the fourth habit here is this. Seek peace and pursue it. It's the last part of verse 14. Seek peace and pursue it. Peace is not just a cessation of hostility. The seeking of peace and the pursuing of peace. What does he mean by that? He means to diligently pursue actions that will contribute to the happiness and well-being of others. The well-being of us. Jesus put it this way in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say peacekeepers. Sometimes you can't keep the peace. And you you can compromise truth by trying to keep the peace. But he's talking about peacemakers. Uh, 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 to be a peacemaker, in, in other words, in other words, to, to pursue peace means that I'm actively looking for ways to solve problems. That I'm I'm actively looking for uh, 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 ways to to, to 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 give a solution. And in fact, and this is something that I learned years ago. I learned this years ago. I learned this years ago. On staff with Campus Crusade, early years, had a meeting with Dr. Bright, the founder and president, late founder and president of Campus Crusade, and I had an idea, uh, and I thought something was, I didn't like something that was going on and this kind of thing. And uh, uh, Steve Douglas, who's now the president of Campus Crusade for Christ, gave me a bit of advice. He said, he was vice president, and he pulled me aside and said, Crawford, now when you're going to talk to Dr. Bright, keep this in mind. If you have constructive criticism, and he's a big boy, he can take it. Make sure you also give a possible solution. Don't just go in there and pop off 
and say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. That has been great advice. In fact, I think we ought to, ought to have that in all of our relationships, even when we have conflict in marriage, that you don't just sit down and blow up at one another and tell them, you did this, you did this, you did this. Take a little time to think about, okay, what are, what are the alternatives? What are, the, what are the pathway? How do we solve this problem? That's what it means to be a peacemaker. It is very practical. And if we fear the Lord, isn't God the ultimate resolver of conflict? Isn't God the ultimate peacemaker? Isn't God the ultimate reconciler? Then if we're reflecting the fear of the Lord, our attitude should be not to cut people off or to tell them off or to be critical. Now, you don't need much intelligence to be a critic. But to be a peacemaker. And this is how we cultivate and live out the fear of the Lord. Now, there are two outcomes to all of this, and this is what uh, 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 David says. Now, if you do these things in verses 15 and 16, number, number one in verse 15, the outcome of, 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 you know, controlling your tongue and controlling your behavior and doing good and pursuing and seeking peace, verse 15 says, huh, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry, <laughs> meaning that the providential care of the Lord is toward those who are committed to living righteous, holy lives. In other words, who fear him. My eyes are on you. It's sort of an anthropomorphic metaphorical statement, not just his eyes, but his pleasure is with us. His favor is with us. You do these things, God says, you've got my heart and my attention. And the negative outcome, however, is found in verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut, them off, cut the memory of them from the earth. Watch it. Watch it. You refuse to do these things. You refuse to fear God. Okay. He says, so many words, that God's hostility is toward those who do evil who don't fear him. And eventually they will fade from memory and be eternally forgotten. In eternity, no names will come up who are in hell. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. No names will come up who are in hell. The fifth and the final thing, and let me hustle on here, is that uh, we're cultivating now and making fear our friend. So in verses 17 and 18, what does he do? David invites us, the way we cultivate this is that we cry out to the Lord. We pray. We pray. It says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Those who fear the Lord are constantly aware of his powerful presence. As he's talking about, you know, one of the things I just really love around here at the church, when I see, I get here early and sometimes I see you all coming in with your young families and sometimes you got little toddlers with you and stuff. And, uh, and so, so, so sometimes I'll say to the little, hey man, how are you? Hey sweetheart, how are you doing? And more often than not, you know, let's just face it. I mean, um, you know, my, I, my face does not always draw things. But uh, and they'll see me, and then they'll scurry back and hold on to the pant leg of, 
I ain't feeling this dude, <laughs> you know. But where do they go? They go to the place of safety. I've had my grandkids who are toddlers with me and want to introduce them to some of our friends and they go, I don't know about them, but Papa, I know you. That's the fear the Lord does. I don't know about life, I don't know about these issues, but I know my great God. And I'm gonna cry out to him. And by the way, the word Lord here in verse 18, and the, and the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's the word Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the name of God that used of God when he intervenes in, in the human predicament, when he comes down to identify with us. Isn't this wonderful? God says, you fear me, you have me. Did you hear what I just said? If you fear me, you have me. If you fear me, you have me. There's this line, crushed in spirit. That refers to those who have nothing good to look forward to. Your life is unraveled. Like Sandy's life, untimely death of her husband. What did it do? Crushed in spirit. Drove her to the Lord. God says, if you fear me, you have me. You gotta cultivate this church. This is not, this is not I wanna fear God, so okay. No, this is not a classroom thing. This is a journey. This is not a one and done thing. This is ongoing. Let me just quickly click off something here that I read just the other day, and I thought to include this, although the outline itself, I feel, is, 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 is the practical ways in which we do it. I, I, I want to pass on to you something I read from the author Jerry Bridges, one of my favorite authors. He's a, just, Jerry has written about uh, the holiness of God and relationship with the Lord, just a wonderful author. But Jerry Bridges gives to us steps to a growing dependence on God, and that's what the fear of the Lord is. And let me just click them off to you. There are five of them. Number one, at the beginning of each day, acknowledge your dependence on God. I think that is a good thing. When you wake up in the morning, before you get going, and even, be, you know, even as you uh, approach your devotional time with the Lord, begin by underscoring the fact that you need him, oh, how you need him, and that you are dependent upon him. Acknowledge that first thing in a day. The second thing that he says is think through your day. Realize that you are dependent on God for everything that day. Uh, you may be smart and bright and experienced and know-how and educated and skilled and exposed and all of that stuff. Yeah, you got all of that, but you ain't got, and neither am I. And think through your day, think and invite God in each one of those things as you look at your calendar, your list of things to do. Thirdly, every day commit to God the unforeseen. God, I'm sure there's going to be some surprises today. There's going to be some conversations that I didn't prepare for. I might get an email or text message or phone call that may unrattle me. God, before that happens, I want to declare that you're sufficient. 
And I invite you to control that. Then fourthly, throughout the day, get into this habit of continually offering to God short, silent prayers. God, I'm in this meeting, and I don't like this information here. Will you help me? Give me perspective. What am I to do about this situation over here? Oh, man. Go before me. He's got this news about my son. Will you step into this? That's how you make this stuff real. And then finally, ask God to make you more aware, more and more aware that you are dependent on him. So, the fear of the Lord is delightfully addictive. But it also is uh, intentional. There's some things that we have to do to cultivate it, to make it real. Let's stand together. Aren't you glad that Jesus came to give us access to God's heart, though? Aren't you glad that he tore down the the partition and the veil in the temple and that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and get whatever we need? And if you're not a follower of Christ today, that can be your experience. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin You died so that I can have the relationship that I described here. And oh, how I want that. If you pray that and really mean that, he will come into your heart and life. If you have any prayer needs today, perhaps you're struggling and maybe you're identified with the video that was shown or whatever it might be, um, we, we will have elders and Stephen ministers up front. Some of our staff members in this service would love to pray with you. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that the fear of the Lord is not to repel us or to push us away, but to invite us to the very heart of our great God. That fear is to hover over us as our friend, as our pathway to knowing and experiencing this great God of the universe. Lord, may it be said of all of us that we unashamedly, delightfully, but reverently fear the Lord. Dismiss us from this place, but may we walk in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.